on. My name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. So great to be with you. And our theme today is Discover the Treasures Buried in Grief and Loss. Discover the Treasures Buried in Grief and Loss. Again, coming out of the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship book, Moving from Shallow Christianity to Deep Transformation. And so let me again invite you to uh, go to our website for an excellent free discussion guide on the content of the book at emotionallyhealthy.org slash discipleship. That's emotionallyhealthy.org slash discipleship. And the reason being because, as we're going to talk about, even in just this one uh, episode today on grief and loss, this theme is vast and it needs to be wrestled with, discussed, and actually done. So again, check that out. So we're talking here really about uh, church culture. The, The book is meant to offer a biblical theology uh, developed and pruned and nuanced over the last 25 plus years uh, about uh, uh, how do we create a, a culture where people are deeply changing uh, for the sake of the world, that something's flowing out of our lives, out of who we are to our teams and into the larger church. And the word culture is key because uh, a community or a culture, the way we, cultures can be defined as the way we do things around here. Everything we do is informed by uh, the culture, uh, whether it's our large meetings of worship, whether it's small groups, ministries, youth, children, the way we do relationships and marriages and singleness and sexuality, the way we navigate politics and talk about these things, our pace, how we make decisions uh, is all un- undergirded or informed by uh, theology. Uh, and so we began this series here uh, by talking about the four failures that undermine deep discipleship. And then I began to one by one go through the seven marks uh, of a discipleship that deeply changes lives, of, of this culture that we call emotionally healthy discipleship. We talked about be before you do. Then we talked about follow the crucified, not the Americanized Jesus. And then we talked about last week embracing God's gift of limits. And today I want to expound on and and explore discovering the treasures buried in grief and loss. Now, all of these marks slow us down, uh, but this one is perhaps one of the greatest means God has to slow us down when we won't, Uh, again, if we'll listen. So again, as as I introduce this, let me just say this as clear as possible. We cannot grow into spiritual mothers and fathers of the faith, into spiritual maturity without discovering God's treasures that are buried in grief and loss. Loss is part, it's a central part of human existence, uh, always has been. It shapes, our, our, our approach to it shapes our view of and our approach to life, shapes all our relationships. It, it either stunts our discipleship uh, because we don't deal with it well, or it enlarges our hearts and our discipleship and our following of Jesus. In fact, our ability to actually understand so many texts of Scripture, I'm talking about viscerally in the gut versus just head knowledge, depends on how we integrate our losses. Because suffering opens us up uniquely. If, when, as things happen to us against our will, it seems so wrong, or, or perhaps unjust, uh, it, it just causes us to clash uh, because God knows this is one of the ways he's going to break us and that will change. But God gets our attention through losses. 
uh, it slows us down. It makes us thoughtful and reflective and prayerful. It, it's a, a key, though, is allowing losses to do their work in us, that we turn towards our grief, not away from it. Uh, that takes a lot of courage and, and faith. But like the broader culture, we in the church have also bought into up and to the right. Uh, we like control. Uh, we like success by the world standards. Uh, you know, get over it. Uh, you know, this idea of loss or stopping or grieving it just seems like such a waste of time. And then we get scripture to support, uh, you know, just get over it. Uh, and so the problem is we choose certain scriptures, we're very selective, and then we leave out a lot of others. And, and so we see loss and grief as something exceptional, something alien. I like to call it an alien invasion, interrupting our normal life that we expect. Uh, that's why we don't sing laments in churches. Uh, even though two-thirds of the Psalms are laments. The music industry it wouldn't sell. Uh, who's going to buy that? So as, uh, as, as one pastor said to me recently uh, at age 50, and he said, as he was, you know, we were, he's been digging into emotional health, discipleship and all this teaching on grief and loss, and he says, I've never heard a teaching on that my whole life. Uh, and because I've been through Bible school and seminary and pastoring, he goes, I've just never heard a serious teaching about it. Uh, actually, a practical teaching that meant to be integrated. Uh, another uh, leader uh, who I was with recently just, uh, you know, acknowledged that uh, they use, uh, he uses uh, upbeat meetings, prophetic anointed gatherings uh, to, in a sense, medicate his pain, uh, to almost like as a narcotic, to stay upbeat, not to have to go down this this long descent into loss and grief. And I was with another pastor who, uh, again, we had him do a, a chart of his grief over different decades of his life, and I'll talk about this later. Uh, and while he's pastoring a large church, uh, recognize he's never acknowledged or really dealt with them in a serious way. His losses are integrated then. Uh, and he's got a, a whole well of decades of basically stunted growth by having to shut down as a child uh, and then just kept doing that through the decades and now recognizes he doesn't do feelings, uh, doesn't do loss, and all the negative consequences in his life are resulting from that. Everything from the way his marriage to his parenting to his building of his team to the church, et cetera, et cetera, his preaching, you name it. Uh, I know for myself, too, the first 37 years of my life, I buried uh, all those hard, those I call them difficult feelings. Uh, my history is one of anger and rage. Uh, I can still remember being, you know, bat my basketball days in high school and uh, not knowing what to do with my pain and disappointment and uh, even just in my family pain growing up. And I would just medicate myself through drugs or alcohol uh, before Jesus. I, I just kept myself really busy. Then I came to Christ and I just got busier. Uh, solve it, fix it, move on as quickly as possible was my, my attitude. And you know, I would say to myself, as things would happen that were hard, I'd say, it's no big deal. God's on the throne. Let's just move on. And uh, I threw myself into work, even though it was working for God. Anything to avoid feeling or having to lean into grief and pain. But I'm more, I'm more deeply aware than ever that how we respond to our grief and loss is tied so closely to our maturity, our freedom, our wholeness, and yours. Uh, that great when people have great power, I'm talking about whether money or intellect or large influence, uh, or successful by the world standards. In the when people have 
the power, have had that power, but they've not been softened or transformed by their losses, uh, they're dangerous. And I'll include myself in that as well. So listen, let me just take a few minutes and expound on a bit of theology of loss and uh, then get into what does it mean for us to discover God's treasures in grief and loss. So it was Jonathan Edwards who wrote a very, very famous sermon. I encourage you to find it at one point on, on the book of Job. And he basically are, he basically says, the book of Job is a story of all of us. Job lost everything in a day. His 10 children died of a natural disaster. He loses all of his wealth, even though he's one of the richest people in the world. And he loses his health uh, to the point where he's physically unrecognizable. Most of us, however, we're, we're going to lose our lives slowly over the span of a lifetime. And we will find ourselves at the door of death, having lost everything, leaving everything behind, all of our relationships, all of our possessions, all of our health. All We're going to use all of our youthfulness, our dreams. Uh, think of all the transitions of life, all those losses. Um, nobody gets through life without dealing with catastrophic losses. Uh, you know, family member dies or suicide or divorces or affairs or cancers or betrayals or broken relationships or abuse. Uh, some people lose a leg in a war growing up uh, in their families of origin. I know I did. Uh, and then we, as we grow in Christ and we realize we have some wrong ideas about God that we have to lose. Uh, and that can be painful. Uh, even some wrong ideas about church. So this idea of facing deaths, many, many, many deaths in our lives along the way, and then it culminates in a big death. But loss is a part of, you can walk on any train, any bus, uh, look at people, everyone's dealing with some loss on some level. Uh, but every culture and every family deals with grieving differently and losses. Western culture, which is with most of you listening to my voice, are part of, whether you live in the United States or any other country in the world, or affected by Western culture, we have an ascent theology. That's A-S-C-E-N-T. By that is, it's just bigger and better. Uh, and... Uh, we don't have much of a theology for anger, sadness, or waiting, or depression. Uh, people would say, to you, how are you, Pete? I'd say, you know, couldn't be better. Uh, and anger and sadness and grieving is just kind of seen as something's wrong, uh, not very spiritual. Uh, and I used, to, honestly, for years, even as a pastor, when I met a depressed person, I a part of me would say, at least under my breath, you know, where is their faith? And uh, And when I would feel sadness or grief, I would quote, certain scriptures to myself, like with his help, I can scale a wall, Psalm, one, you know, Psalm 18, or, or I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I would just quote just certain verses, uh, kind of like American spin uh, in the name of God. Uh, you know, again, our culture doesn't do lament. We don't do grief and loss. So therefore we don't, uh, we don't enjoy the treasures either, either that I'll, I'm so eager to get to and talk to you about. What we do is we find some way to medicate, some kind of addictive behavior. That's the that's the most common way people deal with pain. It's addiction. Uh, whether it's watching television, binge-watching shows, uh, or just being busy, uh, working 70 hours a week, uh, or you know, some kind of pornography, or overeating, or drinking, or pills. Something to avoid pain. Or finding some person uh, that can take away our pain. But if you're a leader, as you listen to me, you, you, you experience a disproportionate number of losses because people we invest in end up not working out or they leave or dreams that we have die. Uh, team members, you know, key people that we work with and 
leave. Uh, betrayals happen. Uh, relationships shatter. Then there's, of course, all the external crises that uh, are in coming into our lives from through other people and through just the events, and we're, met, we're asked to lead in these things. So, and many Christian leaders I meet are, are emotionally numb. Uh, and uh, they may say, I feel, but really they're just in their heads, I think. Uh, kind of like to, to think our feelings is like listening to a painting. Uh, it doesn't work. But between Western culture, a faulty theology around feelings and loss, and a lack of understanding about our family of origins impact on us, uh, what happens, we have many people in our churches, we, including ourselves, we struggle to acknowledge, let alone express emotions. And we kind of have this flatline culture uh, that avoids the depth and range of feelings that we look that we see in David uh, and that we see in Psalms and given to us by God. We have this kind of a, I call it a compressed emotional life, tightly compressed in a tightly constricted box, kind of like shoved down. Uh, and yet holding sorrow before God, welcoming sorrow is so central to leadership, so central to discipleship. It's one of the main ways God enlarges our soul and transforms us. Uh, you know, one of the marks of Jesus, it says repeatedly in the Gospels, he was filled with compassion, you know, from the gut. And uh, when he saw the widow at Nain's son dead, it says he he, he had this compassion. He, 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 you know, filled with compassion. He saw the sheep without a shepherd. He's filled with compassion. He, he was known as a man of sorrows, Isaiah 53. He's described as a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. That's why he said, blessed are those who mourn. Uh, and so to follow Jesus means holding and welcoming sorrow, but yet moving through how we process it, integrating into our lives. So uh, the, a theology for grieving can be, biblically, can be shaped in, in three phases. Uh, one is I, 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 first phase, I pay attention to it. Second is I wait on the Lord. And the third is I let the old birth the new uh, come in. Let me just take each one briefly and make a few comments about each. You know, the first phase of grief is I actually feel it. I pay attention to it deeply. Now, listen, I don't like grieving. Uh, I resist it. Uh, we just naturally move away from grieving loss because it's 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 hard. And yet we see in the Psalms of David, uh, we see in the book of Job, 35 chapters grief. We see Jeremiah. Uh, uh, we see Jesus. Uh, you know, two, again, we forget two-thirds of the Psalms are laments. We have a whole, bo a whole book called Lamentations. Ezekiel lament, lamented, Daniel lamented, Jesus wept, cried over Jerusalem in grief. And yet, when I became a Christian, I was taught, uh, you know, anger is a sin and weeping is a sin. And, uh, and so what happens is we don't process our feelings, we end up leaking. Part of being a human being is we feel. You will not feel when you're dead. And so we end up leaking in sarcasm and passive-aggressive behavior and giving people a silent treatment. And so our churches are filled with, I like to call them, leaking Christian Christians. But Jesus is fully God, fully human. He feels. Uh, and part of being a human being is that aspect that we actually feel. Uh, and we, ser we, we serve a Jesus who's fully God and fully human. And so we see him in the Garden of Gethsemane, you know, on his face before God, uh, you know, struggling, lamenting, sweating drops of blood. And just, you know, in church history, there was a, people didn't want to accept the Garden of Gethsemane Jesus as he's, as he's paying attention to his pain and grief. 
a sweating drops of blood origin the great theologian in the uh you know second century said oh jesus wasn't sorrowful he was only beginning to be sorrowful his godhead restrained him from consummating the emotion uh, that was declared heresy okay because he was fully human as well uh in fact maximus in uh, 580 ad from constantinople uh he, he actually you know stuck stood on his ground that no jesus was had a human will as well as a divine will and at this and in the garden of gethsemane and when jesus has to drink this cup he's accepting it as a free act uh submitted to the father and the holy spirit uh and again he was he was, he was standing on the ground theologically jesus is fully god and fully human and he refused to recant and so they cut off his tongue in his right hand so he'd never teach again but he became famous through history for his courage and his faith. But we pay attention, we feel it. That's why one of the skills that we teach uh, in Emotionally Healthy Discipleship courses, we call it Explore the Iceberg. And in both parts of the course, we teach it because we want to lead people to pay attention and learn to feel. Uh, uh, and so this skill talks, you know, helps people before God journal and uh, acknowledge, what am I sad about? Uh, what am I anxious about? What am I angry about? Uh, and then what am I glad about? It's core to discipleship. And so we've got to lead people into actually learning to feel freely before God. I love in 2 Samuel chapter 1 when David stops the troops uh, after Saul dies and Jonathan dies in battle. He, he commands the, the, his army to lament. He writes a lament and he teaches them how to lament before God. It's part of discipleship, not superficially or briefly, but fully we too must lead our people to actually lament, to feel. Uh, it's hard to do in our culture. And again, our natural tendency is to lean away from it, not towards it. Uh, so first phase is like paying attention to it. But the second is I, I, I wait in that confusing in between as something is over, it's lost. The new hasn't come, but I'm in this confusing in between. That's what has always been called in church history. I'm waiting in the confusing in between when there's no quick solution, uh, but I'm waiting on him, that, that's the place of life because he, he's alive and loss and grief forces us to stop, to wait, to actually change our plans. And scripture is just full of people who are waiting in, in loss on God, whether it's Joseph for more than two decades uh, in Genesis, Moses waits 40 years in the desert, Hannah waits for years for God to answer her prayer for a child, or Elizabeth waited decades for the birth of her son, John. Job waited years, not months, I, I suspect, to, to for God to reveal himself and usher in a new beginning. But from, be, from beginning to end of scripture, we've got this theme of God teaching his people to wait in loss. But it's always confusing and it's disoriented. Again, back to Jesus in Gethsemane. He's fully God, fully human. He's on his ground, overwhelmed by the unfathomable will of the Father, deeply horrified, saying, if it's possible, let this you know, cup pass. And uh, in a very real sense, Jesus does not get his miracle. The Father says, no, you're going to drink the cup. Uh, and we don't always get our miracles either. Uh, God has cups for us to drink. We're not God. And so this idea of waiting on the Lord is such a theme in Psalms. I, I like when Walter Brueggemann in his commentary on Psalms says that all the Psalms are, they start with you're oriented, everything's stable, then you become disoriented, uh, and we see David disoriented, you know, where are you, God? And then it ends with reorientation. Uh, God breaks in and does something new. And 
And so it, it, the second phase is, is waiting on God in this disorientation time. But then the third phase of biblical grieving is, is letting that old birth the new. It's, 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 it's letting the new come. Uh, that's a central message of scripture. Jesus is alive. That suffering and death brings resurrection and life. Uh, like Jesus said, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, uh, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Uh, when we grieve God's way, we are we are changed. It's one of the again. It's but it's one of the major ways we change and are and grow into maturity. You know, but I I actually struggle with the third phase. I I I find myself. It's easier to stay in sorrow and despair and not wait on the Lord and let the old birth the new. Let God do a new thing, as He does there in the Book of Job. Uh, you, you know, the stories were told uh, uh, have been told repeatedly about how. When concentration camps were liberated in World War II, uh, some of the prisoners in these concentration camps left the barracks uh, and walked outside the gates, and then they came back to the barracks, even though it was you know, a horrific place to live, but they were used to it. They had learned a level of helplessness. Uh, and I find for myself and many other people, it's actually scary to move through the phases of grief and loss because as you pay attention to it, you wait on the Lord with it. God does bring something new, a new beginning. It's just different than the old, uh, but it means change and entering into some new risks and God takes you to new places. There are treasures found on this final phase of grieving and loss if we hang on with God's process. For example, we get a a greater revelation of God that we never even imagined. I mean, we see this, for example, in the book of Jeremiah when he writes lamentations when, when everything is, the city has been burned to the ground in Jerusalem, 586 BC. Uh, he's observed cannibalism, the most horrific things, but he gets this revelation of God, you know, the steadfast love of the Lord, uh, you know, never ceases. Uh, his faithfulness never ends. And he, he sees the, the, the depth of the love of God, the depth of God's faithfulness. In so many ways, we get revelation of God, like Job did at the end of his life, uh, and I'd heard of you, Job writes in Job 42, but now I've seen you uh, out of his sufferings. And we see God in ways that we could never see him any other way. We say God is love, but now it's like God is love. We know him in ways that God is faithful. We able to say that with a, with a, it comes out of the depth of our being. They're not just words out of our heads any longer because we've, we've experienced it actually out of our losses. But uh, this, this, this letting the old birth anew, it, it, it's a tre- another treasure is we, we get such a revelation. We get a greater revelation of ourselves. Our ma- we, we actually, the masks that we wear before other people, they dissolve. Uh, we end up caring less about what people think than before because the masks we realize were masks. And so we get a greater, greater revelation of ourselves. Uh, I can think of one, one friend who was doing, uh, he was doing spiritual direction with a very wealthy woman, uh, very well-dressed uh, very together, but she was actually she was in the middle of uh, grieving uh, cancer, her cancer diagnosis, and her mascara was running, uh, tears flowing through her eyes, and he offers her a tissue, and she says to him, "I'm beyond that. It doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't care. It doesn't care. She looks terrible. <laughs> you know, her mascara is running. Maybe not terrible, but not altogether. But sorrow has a remarkable power." to wear away the masks that we present to the world, we realize that I may have be I may have over-identified with my accomplishments or gifts, and now we basically let it go. And we're liberated. 
from that freedom to oppress people. Like Jesus, although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. Another treasure that comes out of, you know, embracing God's, leaning into God's pathway of grief and suffering is we become softer, more compassionate people. It was Henry Nouwen who said, the degree to which we grieve our own losses is a degree to which we are compassionate towards other people. In other words, if you absorb your losses, compassion, you can absorb anybody's losses. You can, you can enter anybody's world. Uh, we become mature lovers, uh, true mothers, true fathers of the faith. It's, sadness has a way of just softening us if we allow God to do his work in us. And people actually experience us as safe containers of Jesus. And, and this grief and loss also, it just teaches us to let go to take risks, to be empty that God might fill us with himself. We've got to be emptied of all things so God could fill us and birth Jesus in and through us. And it just empties us of a lot, empties of a lot of falseness. And, and actually the world comes alive to us and we enjoy this new appreciation of the gift of life, whether it's the changing seasons or the falling of the leaves, the beauty of people, we just, we become alive. If you want to learn to pray, uh, Grief and loss will teach you about prayer. It's one of the treasures. It's the very core of the Christian life. I'm dependent. Uh, unlike Peter, who did not want to go the route of suffering, he cuts off an ear of the high priest servant. Uh, he sleeps during prayer. He doesn't see it as that important. Uh, but uh, Jesus knows that it's abiding. It's abiding in prayer that keeps us, you know, grounded. In fact, I, in, for us in all, all these years and decades uh, here in New York City in our church, we learned one very hard lesson that without uh, people entering their own grief and loss, uh, we're not going to build a community that bridges racial, cultural, ethnic, and gender barriers that goes back thousands of years. We're all broken, but grief and loss enables us to love. Enable, it, it puts us all on common ground. It cuts us all down to size. That's why God invites us to persevere like Job and David and Abraham and Joseph and Moses and Jeremiah, to let God break our stony hearts so the love of Jesus might come in and let the pain, our pain, let God use it to actually mold us into a gift uh, to other people. And listen, this is not just personal for you. This is to create a healthy culture and a healthy team in the new family of Jesus. Healthy families uh, we are meant to lead in grief for our people. Now, that goes for you. If you're a parent, uh, as well as a team leader or pastor leader, and David, I think, models that for us so well. He leads as a chief griever. Uh, and the church, we are uniquely positioned to serve people in life as they move through transitions to actually give them permission and a framework to grieve, to feel their losses deeply, not superficially, to wait on God with them, to stay with God, not quit on him, not medicate, not get into some kind of addictive behavior, and then, the, then to watch and discern God birthing something new out of the old, that third phase. So we, we really have an opportunity as Jesus followers, as churches, to equip people to identify and then reflect on their losses. Um through workshops, and just think of all the transitions our people go through, whether it's divorces or retirements or deaths or serious illness or geographic moves or children going through the phases of life, job losses. I mean, there's just so much. These are all key discipleship moments for people. And then, I mean, just even preaching some series of sermons on it, what a gift we can offer our people. Then in 
creating rituals and even grieving moments or spaces to give people permission to grieve. I think, again, of COVID-19. Uh, I think of memorials that we have in the wider culture around the world. Uh, this is so important that when we do the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship course uh, with pastors and leaders, um, they, they fill out a grief chart of the various losses at different phases of their life. And then we ask them, you know, what, how, you know, how did God, what did you, how did you respond to those losses at different phases of your life? And then what work have you done, uh, you know, around these losses in terms of getting, you know, being with a mature mentor or spiritual director or even a therapist. But we realize we've got to help pastors and leaders in particular uh, really let, you know, and this can squeeze the treasure out of their losses because so many gifts are coming out of that losses for the way that we serve other people. And then we actually meet with them one-on-one outside the course to try to help them integrate their losses more deeply. Because again, as goes your life, so goes everyone else you lead. It takes great strength to move towards grief and loss. Uh, We have to allow grief to work in us and on us. This is the way we develop depth, a certain maturation in our lives. In other words, the darkness that comes to us as grief actually is a treasure. It shapes us. It creates a capacity in you to hold more of life, a spaciousness. It widens and deepens our capacity to hold God and hold other people. Uh, but again, it takes faith and courage to move towards grief, not away from it. But we're not we're not the same people afterwards. We, we actually like like Jesus. We uh, we're wounded. We, we people see our scars, but we're resurrected. But we, our wounds are there, and and uh, grief is meant to work on us and in us. And I believe it's a moment for us as the church to get serious about building healthy cultures that flourish uh, in the world and are missional for Christ. But that means following Jesus, the man of sorrows, even though it's so counterintuitive. So again, let me, let me, this has to be discussed and on multiple levels. So again, as you read the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship book, let me encourage you, get that discussion guide. It's free on our website at emotionallyhealthy.org slash discipleship. Look at that study guide. Talk about it with some friends uh, because this is a truth that will change you and everybody around you as you make it a part of you. So let me close with a quote by Barbara Brown Taylor that summarizes so well what we're talking about here today. She writes, I have learned things in the dark I could never have learned in the light, things that saved my life over and over again. So there really is only one logical conclusion. I need darkness as much as I need light. God bless everybody. Have a great day.